Meanwhile, we're in this series called Running with the Giants. And uh, I love hearing from the small groups and the families and the people that are taking the talk it over notes and they're going a little bit deeper into the message and they're reading the accounts in scripture of the people that, um, that we're looking at. The concept of the series is that there are these heroes or giants of the faith who are witnesses to God's faithfulness. And they were ordinary people, um, but they did extraordinary things. And so we're saying, hey, let's not just admire these heroes, these great people of the faith. Let's let them have a role in our life. And so Hebrews chapter 11 lists so many great heroes of the faith. And then you jump to Hebrews chapter 12, and it says what it means for us. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. And then it gives a a metaphor for our life, this race marked out for us. So there are some hindrances to our race, things that slow us down and make it harder for us to be faithful to God. But what if these amazing people of the faith came out of the stands and ran a lap with us? What would they say? How would they coach us up? How would they encourage us? And we've tried to reduce their Bible story to one specific thought that would keep us running and give us a second wind in our race. And I'll give you this one today in a few minutes, but I've got quite a bit of setup to do because today we're pulling out of the stands Rahab, who is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, but the account of Rahab in scripture is found in the beginning of the book of Joshua, and Rahab's story is a story within a story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. So Joshua is now leading the Israelites, Moses is dead, and Joshua is Moses' assistant, and he's now leading God's people. How would you like to be Joshua? Not only do you have to follow up Moses, but you got to continue, you got to finish his job of leading the Israelite, God's people, out of Egyptian slavery and into their promised land, into this area of the earth that they're supposed to inhabit. And that's what he's just starting. They're just starting this conquest era where they're getting to this promised land and they are going to conquest. They're going to uh, battle against these cities that have the land and they're going to get God's promised land for them. So they're on one side of the Jordan River and the plan is for them to cross it at flood stage. But When they go to cross it, the priests touch the water and the river dries up and parts for 20 miles, very similarly to when Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea. And now they're faced with their first major city and their first major battle, and it's the city of Jericho. It's the eastern gateway to the promised land, and it's fortified and terrifying But Joshua is this brilliant military strategist. In fact, his war campaigns are still studied by the Army War College today. And so he's standing and he's looking over this city and sizing this thing up and strategizing and figuring out how they're going to take that. How are we going to do that? How are we going to take this thing? How are we going to win this battle and take this city? And as he's doing that, as he's standing there, and strategizing, an angel of the Lord appears to him. 
Now, I want you to picture this in your mind right, because when I say angel of the Lord, we think of a glowing porcelain figurine, and that's not what this was, okay? The, the translation is actually the commander of the Lord's armies, and many scholars will tell you they believe this is pre-incarnate Jesus appearing as a battle-worn general, and he has his sword drawn, and it freaks Joshua out, and he says, um, are you a friend or a foe? And the commander says, no, <laughs> neither. And he says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Joshua realizes what's going on and he falls on his face and he says, tell me what to do. And what Joshua is realizing in this moment is that this battle with the city of Jericho is very personal to God, very personal to God. So while Joshua may have strategies and ways that he would do this, this is personal to God and he needs to say to God, tell me what to do. How do you want me to do this? It reminds me of my seventh grade basketball coach, to tell you the truth. I had this crazy seventh grade basketball coach. I got so many stories on him. He was just this larger than life guy, this long hair and you just whites of his eyes all the time. He's crazy. He would say, I mean, we're seventh graders. He would say stuff we did not understand in practice. He'd go, eat their lunch, guys. We're just going to eat their lunch. Eat their lunch? Why is he talking about lunch in this dribbling drill? He was just crazy. So one game, he tells us, take, it, take a knee. This is right before the game. And we take a knee. And he says, look across the court. You see that team? You see that coach over there? That's my best friend. And we're the most competitive people in the world. We grew up playing ball together. And, and we played football together. We were on opposite sides of the line. And, oh, we got to win today. It's personal. He's looking at us, seventh grade. It's personal, okay, guys? He was just so fired up. And we just realized, okay, this is personal to our coach. And this is what Joshua's realizes. This battle's personal to God. And he's got a way that he wants to do it. And God, he just starts breathing life into Joshua. And he says, the city's already yours. It's already yours. He said, you've already won. You do it my way, you've won. It's yours. This is happening. Here's how it's going to go down. And he tells the Israelite, oh, by the way, we lost. <laughs> and uh, we lost so bad. But he tells the Israelites, you're going to walk around the city of Jericho each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times. Not, don't make a sound until the priests give you the signal. And then you're going to shout like you've never shouted before. And the walls of Jericho are going to crumble. They're going to fall before you and you are going to invade the city and destroy everything and everyone in this city in this area is yours. And Joshua's realizing that makes sense because in my battle plan, I get the credit and the glory, but in this battle plan, God gets all the credit, all the glory, all the honor, and all the fear. And that's exactly the way he wanted it because it was personal to God. And so they did it, and they made the sound, and the walls crumbled before them, and they, they went in. They destroyed everything and everyone, except for one woman and her family. And the Bible says that this woman was a harlot, and her name is Rahab. 
and she was a city prostitute. And you see, before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and got the plan from God of how they were going to do this, they sent out two spies to scout it out and to see what it was like and what they were going to do. And the way that the spies sneak into the city is through a window in the wall, and that window is Rahab's room in a hole in the city wall. And wouldn't you know that's how it would go? I mean, you've seen spy movies. I mean, they always end up in the wackiest places and the weirdest things, and they, they duck in this room, and they dive through this window, and, and then they meet this person, and the story gets a little bit more complicated, and then, okay, now they owe this person something, and this person owes them something, and if they help them get away, that's exactly what happens here, is, is the, the window that they go in happens to be this prostitute's hole-in-the-wall room, and the spies almost get caught, but she hides them on the roof and lies to the city officials so the spies can get away. But before they leave, she says to them and what she says to them something and what she says is what gets her in Hebrews chapter 11. Like how does a prostitute end up in Hebrews chapter 11? It was her faith. And what she said to them is, "You guys are going to win. I've heard about you guys, and more than that, I've heard about your God in I'm convinced he's the supreme God of heaven and earth, and you guys are going to beat us, and I don't want to be destroyed with the rest of Jericho. So she has faith in God and what he's going to do. And she says, because I helped you, I want you to swear by your God that you'll save me and my family when you come to conquer us. And I'll show you how they do it, but they do save her. And she ends up marrying into God's holy people and becomes one of the great, 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 28 great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. And what would someone who goes from being a prostitute to her blood running through the veins of the Messiah, what in the world would she say to us today? Well, she'd say, my life did not start off very well. My life was dark. I was embarrassed with how my life story was being written. And this message today is for the person who would also say, I'm not liking my story so far. And I'm disappointed. And this can't possibly be what God has for me and what he had in mind when he created me. And my life story feels disappointing. And Rahab would say, my story started out horribly. I mean, who knows why she was in prostitution. She could have been forced into it. Maybe it was a life that she chose. But I can tell you this, every time she was with a man, she felt the guilt and the shame. And she wished that her life story was being written another way. But then she ends up saving the Israelites And if she could tell us one thing today, I think it would be that when you're feeling disappointed with your life, let God write your story. Let God write your story. Give him the pen. Let him write your story. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. There's a moment in your life where you've got to give up the pen to your story and let God write it. And what I love about her story is there's a few keys into what it looks like into letting God write your story. And the first one 
is that God actually searches for you to be in his story. And the way God starts this rewrite, this course correction, he initiates the process. In the middle of your darkness, God comes searching for you. God searches for you to be in his story. That's exactly what happened to Rahab. Rahab, this prostitute living in in the wall of Jericho, Joshua leading Israel, they're claiming the land, but they've got to size it up first. So I'm retelling this story that that I just told you, Joshua 2.1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Chittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Rahab wasn't searching for them. God found her. God had a plan, and God made sure that the place they snuck in just happened to be the window of her house. And I'm saying all that to say this. God has been coming after a bunch of you guys, and he's saying, isn't it about time you give me the pen? The Bible says it this way. The Bible says that the Lord stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And he could just bust it down, but he doesn't. And he just knocks and he says, how about today? How about this weekend? He says, don't you think it's about time that you hand over the pen? And you need to know that your God will search after you. And he comes knocking and he searches for you to be in his story. But I've got to give you this warning. He doesn't always do that. He won't do it forever. You see, there's a part in scripture where it says that God's spirit doesn't always strive with man. So he's going to give you moments. He's going to give you opportunities. He's going to knock and search you out. But you've got to take advantage of him. And some of us Christians have been serving God for a while. But we know it's time to do a certain thing. And some of you have been coming. and, And you know it's time to walk across that threshold of faith. But too often we say, well, it's spring break. God, hit me up next week. Can you come knocking next week? It's summer. Summer's crazy. In the fall, man, I'm going to be some kind of Christian in the fall. God, come knocking in the fall. It's going to be amazing. Ooh, holidays, they're a little rough. A little crazy around here, the holiday. God, could you come knocking at Christmas? Man, when you come knocking at Christmas, I'm going to open that door, and boy, you're never going to see, oh, Christmas is going to be amazing. No, God doesn't knock forever. He gives you these moments. He gives you these opportunities. And Rahab would say, I took advantage of mine. Would you take advantage of yours? And you're in this intersection of your life. And maybe your life is kind of dark right now. But the problem is maybe it's not dark enough to do anything about it. And Rahab says, would you do something about it? Would you hand the pen over to God? Would would you let him rewrite your story? God's been searching after you. I'll show it to you in scripture. John 15, 16 says, God says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. God says, I've got a plan for your life. And it's a fruitful life. It's a fulfilling life. And he's coming and he's searching for you. The spies came to Rahab. God searches for you to be in his story. And number two God always makes a way for you to be in his story. It's not enough that she was sought after. 
they happened to be in her house and they had to get away for a rewrite on this dark story. So after they spied out the land, they came back to her house and told her, don't tell anyone we did this. Don't tell anyone we were here. We're going back to the people of Israel and then the people of Israel are coming here and we're going to destroy this place. And she says, I don't want to be destroyed with the rest of Jericho. All right. Well, when we come, this whole wall is going to come down, but you and your family will make sure that you're saved. But just like you had a swear by our God, you need to swear an oath as well. Joshua 2, 17 says, now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Don't miss this. This is amazing. This is beautiful. Everybody look up here. Looking back, we know that this scarlet cord, what it represents, it's a symbol of the blood of Jesus. And we know what this story is, that destruction is coming. There's going to be this wave where these walls are crumbling down. But she has applied the grace of God to her life. And this scarlet cord coming out of this window says, when this destruction comes, you and your family will be saved. So when the walls fell, they, they all fell except for one section. This whole thing collapsing except for her house and her whole family was saved. Why? Because she applied the blood of Jesus to her life. She applied the grace of God. She applied this oath, this covenant to her life. And God makes a way out for you, but it's only one way. It's the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be saved so that when this day of judgment, the day of destruction is coming, you have applied the blood of Jesus as a covering to your life. They go on and they say, but if you tell what we are doing, I love that. If you snitch on us, (laughs) we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And if you don't like the story that's been being written in your life, there is a way out, but that only way out is Jesus. But what happens is we white knuckle the pen of our story and we say, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it God's way. Because if I could just get this other degree, then my life story will be redeemed. I'll like my story. If I could just get another guy, another girl, if I could just get another marriage, if we could just have another kid, if I could just move here, if I could just get this job, if this could happen, if this person would leave me alone, if I could just reconcile this relationship, then I'll like my story. Then I'll be fulfilled. And that's not how it works. It just keeps getting darker and darker. And God says, hand over the pen. Stop trying to manipulate and force and rewrite your story. Allow Jesus to change your life. And he has the ability to take the dark days and even turn them around for good. Because in all things, God works together all things for the good of those who love him. For those who say, God, take the pen. My life is yours. 
work it together for good. Not only was Rahab completely saved and her family saved, but she thought that was the extent of it. That's how short-sighted her vision was. And God says, no, 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 I got more for you, girl. There's more than that. You're going to be one of the grandmothers of Jesus. And that teaches us this third thing, that God always has a redemptive ending to our story. Redemptive meaning that it's better than we ever thought it would be. So God doesn't just forgive your sins so that, okay, well, one day I'll make it into heaven. No, that's too short-sighted. Giving your heart is not the end of your spiritual journey. It is the beginning. God has so much more in store for you. I mean, we, hear, we see her name mentioned again in Scripture, and the next time it's mentioned is in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he starts off with the genealogy of Jesus, the family history of Jesus. And he starts with Abraham, and Abraham had this son, and, and then there was this son, and this son, and he goes through 40 generations of sons until he gets to Jesus. But in those 42 grandfathers of Jesus, Matthew inserts four grandmothers. And he kind of goes out of his way. I mean, it, it, writing it out, I mean, normally writing the genealogies, and he would have just written the, the men and the grandfathers, and, and it would have been this nice, concise list. But he goes out of his way to insert these stories of four specific grandmothers. Why would he do that? And why just those four? Because Matthew didn't have such a good story. And Matthew wanted us all to know that in the middle of Jesus' genealogy were imperfect people. And their life was kind of a mess. He says it this way. He's going through the genealogy. He says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you go and read Tamar's story in Genesis chapter 38, it's one of the ugliest, weirdest stories you'll ever read. And Matthew goes out of his way to highlight it. Salmon, the brother of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. We know her story. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was an outsider. And Matthew, the tax collector, wants you to know that outsiders can get into David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and it doesn't mention her name, but that's Bathsheba. And that's the woman who David lusted after, had her husband killed in battle, and David took Bathsheba as his wife. And can you just imagine losing your husband and being shamed by the king of a nation that way? Why does Matthew go out of his way to remind us of these stories in Jesus' ancestry? It's because he wanted us to know through Tamar's story that God will forgive the darkest sin. And he wanted us to know through Rahab's story that God will use you regardless of your past. And he wanted us to know through Ruth that God will not leave anyone out. And through Bathsheba, he wanted us to know that God can heal any situation. And God wanted you to know that. He can redeem your story. He can redeem your life. And next time you feel like your story is too dark to be redeemed by God, the next time you feel like that failure in your life has disqualified you and set you back too far, you remember these four great-grandmothers of Jesus Christ. And right there in that genealogy, God wanted to remind you. He wanted you to know that. Before Rahab leaves us, she would say some parting words of encouragement and she'd say, this is how you let God write your story. Number one, God invites you to be part of his story. Join him. 
Say yes. Say yes. Stop resisting God. Some of you have been resisting God. He's been knocking for a long time. You know who you are. You know that you're doing life your way and it isn't working. And it's leaving a trail of hurt behind you that you cannot restore on your own. You recognize that you need God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That sounds wonderful. How do I get that light of life? He says in Luke 9, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Does that mean that I just beat myself up and think of myself as less all the time? No, no, no. It means you hand over the pen and you deny yourself the right to force this story how you want it and you let God write the story. And take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life, it's going to feel a whole lot like you're losing it. Because you've got this plan and you've got this thing that you've been doing your way and you've been manipulating it your way and it's going to, you lose control. It's going to feel like you're spinning out of control. It's going to feel like I'm jumping out of this airplane and I hope this works. But it will. Because whoever loses their life for me will save it. So if everything has to be done your way for you to do it, you won't get near as far as you would if you would just join God's way. I'll say it this way. This goal that you've been working towards, this thing, whatever it is, the position, a relationship, whatever it is, if you have to manipulate it, if you've got to white-knuckle the pen and manipulate it to get it, Guess what? You have to manipulate it every day of your life to keep it. If you deny yourself, hand over the pen to God and let him write your story. It's God's story. He's sovereign. He's in control of it. And it becomes your story. And you don't have to manipulate it to keep it. It's a free gift from God. So join God's way. Number two, God wants to surprise you with his love. Accept him. I'm convinced Rahab would say that because I think Rahab was shocked that of all the people in Jericho, God picked the prostitute to be in his story. And guess what? God does that intentionally. God picks the darkest to use them. I mean, God uses the, the stutterer Moses, who was a murderer. He uses David, this adulterer. He uses the apostle Paul, who murdered Christians, to, and then turns his story around, has him write two-thirds of the New Testament. Because there's no place you can go that the love of God cannot reach. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. He understands. He's been through all the weakness and the testing. He experienced it all. All but the sin. So let's walk right up to him. Get what he is so ready to give. I love this. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Don't try to earn it, just receive it. I think about my, my child at home. You know what? He can't do anything for himself. If he wants to get from here to there, we got to carry him. If he needs food, we feed him. If he needs his diaper changed, we change it. If he needs to sleep, we put him down. All he can do is just accept it and receive it. And it's really frustrating when he doesn't. <laughs> and God says, when it comes to faith, 
I want you to come to me like a little child because that's what you are. You're a lot more hopeless than you think. And he says, when it comes to salvation, you can't do it on your own. You can't even get from here to there. I've got to carry you. I've got to feed you. I've got to do it for you. And Jesus says, humility is, that when, you, is when you realize you're helpless and that God does the saving. Just accept it. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Receive it. Here's the third thing. Is she so moved by her story, Rahab would say, but it doesn't stop there. She'd say, that's salvation. That's faith. You just got to realize that you're helpless. You're dead in your sin. And God does the saving work for you, but it doesn't stop there. God wants you to love others with your actions. Serve him. Serve him. Rahab would say, God had a plan for my life. He redeemed my past so I could help other people who are going through the same thing. And I've got a hunch that there's things in your story you wish you could forget. That there's things in your story you wish no one would ever bring up again. And God says, those are the things that I want to redeem and turn them for good. Why? Because maybe you hate that that's a part of your story, but what if you could help someone else that that's a part of their story? Maybe prostitution is in your story. Rahab would say, no, no, no. Let God redeem it. Let God rewrite that story to where you help someone else. Maybe you hate that divorce is in your story, but what if you could help someone else avoid it? What if you could help someone else recover from it? What if you hate that uh, abortion or abandonment or failure or anything else is in your story? But what if you gave God the pen and let him redeem your story and rewrite your story and rewrite your life? You see, church people have this myth that uh, you can't do anything for God until you get your act together. And if that's your goal, get in line with the rest of us. <laughs> Don't say, oh, I can't lead a small group because I've got all these problems. No, no, no. People go into your small group want to hear from a leader who's got problems like them. And you see the culture around us, they, they look at the church and say, it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And I just want to grab the megaphone and say, duh, that's exactly what we are. We are. But we've said, God, what if you could take this hypocrisy? What if you could take my life? What if you could take this story that I'm disappointed in and redeem it for something for good? And we serve one another because God wants to use the darkness and the grief that we're going through or that we went through. And God uses it to help others who are going through the same thing. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And when you do that, that's when your story turns great. You talk to any one of the people that, that, that serve here, the people who are taking care of your kids, they're, they're on the dream team, they're leading worship today, they greeted you at the door, they're leading a small group. I'd say that, that's the game changer. That's when life turns great is when I'm serving someone else. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everyone can be great because anyone can serve. I can't tell you how many times I've had, I've just been low 
I've been having a bad week, but I show up at church and serve. I had one two weekends ago. I so desperately did not want to go to church. I just wanted to stay home, do my own thing. But I was playing drums that weekend. And I signed up, and I'm serving, and I got to be there. And I remember just driving away from church, just so thankful that I had to come. Because pastor's message was just so amazing. It's what I needed to hear. And just serving other people just felt so good. And serving alongside Andy and the team, I was just so fulfilling. I left just so filled up, just praising God that I'd structured my life in such a way that I had to be here. I couldn't miss. I couldn't cop out. And I was just thankful because if I wouldn't have gone, it would have been weeks before I climbed out of that hole. And that's what the people would serve would tell you is that when I start serving other people, that's the game changer. That's when life turned great. And that's when my story turned great. It's when I denied myself and I let God lift me up and lift me out. And here's the last one, but I'll give you the verse first. First Timothy 1.15 through 17 says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. And it worked. Because that's how I'm encouraging you today. As if Jesus Christ can rewrite Paul's story, he can rewrite your story. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. God wants to write a new ending to your story that ends in eternal life. And he just wants one thing. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And all the church said, amen. Rahab would say, all God wanted from you is this. God signs his name to your story. He gives you a new ending. Thank him. Thank him. Write that down and close your eyes. Church, I want you to hear this today. That this is what faith can do in anyone. Faith has the power, regardless of your age or where you come from or what you've done, it has the power, it has saving power through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our story was death and darkness and separation from you, but God turned it into life and light and an eternity with him. And this is an important moment for some of you right now. Where God's been knocking at the door and you're going to answer. And this is the whole invitation. Say yes. Say yes to him. Say yes today. If you know that God has been knocking on your door and dealing with you and you know it's time for you to say yes, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not calling you to the front or sending you to a room. I'm going to pray while you're right there in your chair. But you ought to be bold today and let God know that you're saying yes. And if you're saying yes to God today, just put your hand up right in your seat. Let God know, I'm saying yes to you today. I'm giving up my right to hold this pen and to manipulate and rewrite my story, and I'm giving the pen over to you. God, redeem 
my story. Rewrite my story. I just want to help you with a little prayer. Just say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Today I say, yes, I give you the pen. Write my story. Forgive me, save me, change me. God, use me. I give you my life today. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for using me. You're an awesome God. I love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. I give you my life, Lord. It's through Jesus' name I pray. Amen.